welcome back to Arts About. Show about art that's a work of art in itself. Yes, indeed it is. And Arts About is brought to you by the generosity of the McClellan Sculpture Park and Gallery. And you're here with us, artist in residence and cultural sounding board John Baird, thermodynamic Mark Stewart, Swannies on the knobs, and me, Sally Bailey, in the RWP studios. I think we've abandoned thermodynamic. <coughs> oh, have we? Because it is a bit stupid. Man about town. Is <gasps> Man about town. No, no, no. No. <laughs> no? no. No, we'll have to think a, bit, a little bit more about that, John. Okay, right. okay then, that's great. We'll yeah, we sort of ex some of those standards last week. Oh, did week. we? Yeah. Yeah, okay. All right, then. Am I still tireless? Absolutely. <laughs> okay, good. All right, so it's wonderful to be back. I've had a month away, and you guys have uh, have managed to keep the boat afloat, so We had speak. a ball. It took us about a day to clean the pizza packets out of the studio. And <laughs> did it? Tidy up before I got home, yeah. tell you off. I forgot about that, the beer cans and the pizza packets. Oh, my word. Yeah. So I still haven't heard any of the shows yet, so yeah. um, I'm going to catch up this week. So I am a little bit nervous that we've got any listeners less left, so fingers crossed. Um, so I guess we're still on the same old pattern. What do you want about this week, John? I'm going to talk about being late for dinner, possibly. Possibly. As a, re- as a result of being trapped in a Mike Nichols painting. Hell, that's that's very appropriate for this today, isn't mm. it? And you, Mark? Uh, I'm going to talk about um, Ita Butros. Oh, that's nice and obscure enough. Yes, and um, a little bit of collective guilt and a small act of kindness, which was given by a woman in South Carolina to a man who was waiting in line to buy a Mega Millions lottery ticket. Mm-hmm. And her act of kindness meant that he missed out and she won $1.5 billion. <gasps> that was in the news today. Oh, that's a great story. Mm. Okay, Is so that an act of kindness? Has, <laughs> has that got anything to do with the heart? Right. Okay. So it wasn't the same woman that got sort of eaten alive by sausage dogs. No, 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 no. Oh, that wasn't that a story? That was a story. Yeah, from it the happened 70s, in America. An eighty-year-old woman got mauled to death by eight sausage dogs. Recently, <laughs> it featured very heavily in our program. <laughs> Things have changed yes. since I've been away. Okay, well, getting the show back on the road again, and we're going to be talking about art. And on the show today, we're going to be talking with Juliet Hansen, who is the curator for the Linden Art Gallery, and uh, she has curated the Linden Art Prize, which is currently on display there. Uh, and um, at Linden New Art, which is, of course, in its back in its original home in Ackland Street. We're going to find out about that prize, who won it, and what you might see if you get down there to see it. We've also got artist Mike Nichols coming into the studio to talk to us about his exhibition, Changing Tides. Uh, it's an exhibition of watercolours, drawings and sculptures that's due to open at Merrick's on the 16th of March and runs through to the 7th of April. That's at the Merrick's General Store Art Gallery. So I hear you've had a really shocking musical selection since I've been gone. Yes, we were playing the B list. Yes, so I hear it's Brendan's list on Zara, which is a little bit upsetting. So um, I hope you um, out there will be listen, will be pleased to hear that I'm back and that we've got something a little different. Uh, it was International Women's Day on Friday, so of course we need to play women. Uh, first up, here's Missy Higgins' version of a Warumpi Band anthem, Black Fella, White Fella. The exhibition Changing Tides is about to open at Merrick's House Art Gallery and is a collection of paintings, watercolours and drawings depicting seascapes between Merrick's and Flinders, combining the works of artist Joe Darvell and our next guest, Mike Nichols. Both artists have strong ties to the Mornington Peninsula and Mike Nichols, uh, which many of, our, is, many of our listeners will remember, won the Montalto Sculpture Prize last year with his Seafarer's Totem. 
Mike's work has been exhibited in galleries all around Australia and is included in many major public and private art collections, including the National Gallery of Australia and the National Gallery of Victoria. His latest foray has been to venture out on plain air along the eastern coast of the Mornington Peninsula to, over the last six months, to record in his inimitable style the atmosphere, changing weather, light and tides of some very familiar seascapes. Good morning, Mike. Welcome to Arts About. Thanks for coming in again. Thanks for having me. It's always fun. Um, you've had a lovely few months, haven't you, hanging around the coast on the, um, the western port side of the peninsula? Yeah, no, it's been fantastic. It's, um, I've been out doing um, drawings and it's... It's basically you're nearly doing improvisations because the tide and every the light, yeah, everything is changing all the time. So everything's in flux. So yeah, it, it, with over a two or three hour period of drawing, there's not every time you look up the scenery is different. Yeah, and I imagine that it completely by the by the time you've finished, it's not the same place that you started painting. Yeah, or exactly. Were you painting, or is it was it crayon or pastel, or what? Were you I doing was basically there? using oil pastels, a bit of everything. Yeah. Uh, dry pastels, and I've done, you know taken the drawings back to the studio to develop paintings from. That's what I wondered whether or not. So, are some of the works in the exhibition works that have come right off the beach. Yeah, or have they all, all been worked back at the studio? No, all the drawings are straight off the beach because I didn't take any photographs. I just wanted to reference the drawings. Yeah. And because um, studio painting is quite different to um, land being out mm. in the landscape, so it's, you sort of bring in another feel. And just working from the drawings, it just sort of creates those steps in improvisation yeah. all the way through. So do you not use photographs at all? No, I don't like them. I don't mm. like them. It's sort of. I think you get more the feeling of the place if you're down drawing. Uh, yeah, just yeah. because it's constantly changing, so you, you sort of got to keep adapting the whole time. So, and from a drawing, you just got a stilted sort of. I mean, from a photograph, you've just got a stilted image that you work from. So. Yeah, but it's a flitting moment, split second in time, isn't it? A photograph. Yeah, but it's just just that one image. It's sort of. It doesn't for me. It doesn't sort of really capture the essence. Mm. of the place um, and looking through the photographs that you've shown me um, clearly you're fond of a headland yeah well it's actually I didn't realise seascapes are actually quite difficult to um, paint so you need to have something in there mm. and the headlands are just to have a sort of I don't know sort of humanistic sort of majestic sort of powerful sort of presence yeah well having having traveled with you last year when we went on that incredible trip to the Kimberley and uh, where you spent most of the time sitting on the, the bow of the boat uh, looking at uh, drawing and and capturing all the the, the sentinel rocks and so on uh, on that trip I, I know that you kind of it's almost like you anthropomorphize you almost create creatures that are sitting on the on the tops of cliffs or there's some personality that's yeah, I, I, yeah. I, I don't like to create sort of just the landscapes that are in front of me. I sort mm-hmm. of like to, you know, create a sort of human sort of, um, not quite spiritual, but yeah, just sort of trying to um, bring in the essence of of, of the place. What's happened, than... I think, Mike, which I quite, which I'm very pleased by, is that. Uh, a lot of the landscapes that your images are of, uh, um, or seascapes, are images that we're used to looking at. It's a, mm-hmm. it's a coastline that we're all used to and familiar with and get a lot of enjoyment out of. 
And uh, in order to do that, you've used shapes that you're familiar with and that you like in other sorts of painting, you know. So they seem to have married each other in a really lovely way. Like those big bluff shapes have appeared in quite a lot of your paintings. Yeah, 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 they have. Well, I thought for once... Even as the backs of chairs. Yeah, yeah. Even just for once, I thought instead of painting paintings that really people aren't that interested in, I'd actually sort of target (laughs) the, the area just... Yeah, just so I can sort of, you know, because you sort of need to generate money from your artwork to keep on sort of producing artwork. Right. Of course you do. I mean, that's the great artist's dilemma in a way, isn't it? How to, how to survive while doing this stuff that... Uh, well, they look like they're ready to go into people's lives. They're definitely those sorts of paintings. They're very accommodating themselves. And uh, what sort of size are they? Are they like a library size or are they... Um, the largest are sort of... One metre high by two metres long, oh, and then big. they go down to about sort of 60 by 70 centimetres, right. the small ones. Because I'm, I'm used to sort of painting large, but it was actually quite refreshing doing small ones because sure. you can do them sort of... When when you're in the zone, they can come out quite quickly and quite sort of fresh and effective, which I found very pleasing. Mm. Added to which, presumably, when you're um, sitting out on the beach with the sand blowing around or perched on a cliff, it's a hell of a lot easier to work on that scale. Yeah, yeah, well, even just the difference between a small drawing and a slightly larger drawing. The larger drawing, just to cover the surface, would take me sort of an extra hour or two hours just to keep reworking and reworking sort of thing. So even in the smaller drawings, you get probably more immediate than a slightly larger drawing. So would you work from a very small drawing up to a very large painting? I, I sort of just had the drawings there as reference. I sort of, just as, as an image... I sort of um, wasn't really trying to um, develop a painting, you know, straight from the drawing that represented the drawing. They were just sort of more references just to take in, just to um, expand sort of the studio practice of painting within the studio. You give pretty good cloud too, I have to say. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, I actually found the clouds a lot easier than the sea. I found the sea really hard to paint. Right. (laughs) It's changing colour so often. Well, so does the sky, I guess. Yeah, no, it's just trying to get the depth into the sea. Mm. You know, it's mm. sort of, um, you know, and you've got different currents running through it and stuff. There's something under it. Yeah, and so, yeah, mm. I just found it a lot more sort of difficult just to get that spontaneity within mm. the sea, whereas the sky was sort of, I found it quite a lot easier. In fact, where you were looking, there's white points under that sea. There's <laughs> white pointers, I mean, they're yeah. out there in seal rocks. Yes, are. it's pretty dangerous out there, isn't it, in that water? To get out um, on a boat? No, 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 no. It's just um, just landlocked, right. pretty much. But um, yeah, no. It's quite, there's so many aspects you can paint down there. I even noticed, just sort of as I was traversing around the coast, different views had different perspectives all the, the way around. So when I was going back looking at my drawings, I couldn't quite figure out, you know, if I'd actually drawn them correctly or I'd actually made them up, just because of the perspective. Right. It changed so much just as I sort of, you know, meandered around the bay, sort of painting the same scenes but from different positions. So you were mostly in Western Port? Yeah. 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 It's, there's the dividing line, of course, the fault in Fingal Bay where it changes from basalt to limestone. Where is that, John? 
Uh, that's you know that incredible dip on Bonio Road as you near Bush Rangers. Yes. Yeah, a bit past Bush uh, Fringe side of Bush Rangers. That's a big fault line that runs through there. Oh really? Is yeah, it? I've a, what a, the name of the fault line is? A, a volcanic uh, right. fault is it, line, or well, it's just a difference between geological plate? It's geological. Uh, I mean, it isn't a major tectonic plate, but it's a crack, I think. Okay. Mm. Mm. It's, it's basalt on one side and limestone on the other, and the, the whole sort of cliff front changes as you get into the limestone area. Yes. It's less kind of soft and round. Because do you know what limestone jagged. is, John? Do you, do you know what it's made of? It's just all the detritus of the sea. From yes, the of marine sea. creatures. Yeah. 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 Whereas yeah. basalt is um, volcanic. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Um, so, Mike, we're really glad to see that... I'm glad to see that the price <laughs> tags are going up in in lots of ways. And seeing we're seeing your work more and more around. Ha, um, has... Has the Montal- winning the Montalto Prize sort of uh, jettisoned you into a different market, or is that, has it had has it had an effect on you, or is it really just a welcome, you know, a gain, windfall? It's probably more a welcome windfall. You know, I've been in a lot of prizes and things like that, and I found they actually haven't made that much difference to your career. It's more through exhibitions people get to see your work right. and just developing relationships with clients. And yeah. just even this show being able to send out emails with people that you haven't been in contact for a while. You jog people's memory and all of a sudden I'm getting emails back saying, oh, can I come to your studio and have a look at work and stuff like that. So, yeah, it's sort of operate more by word of mouth, I think. Yeah, okay. And... um, so, oh, sorry, my, I just had a complete blank then. I was looking at Swanee's direction. <laughs> um, Dance moves. So in this exhibition, I said earlier on in the, uh, when I introduced you that there were sculptures. Are there sculptures in this particular exhibition at all? I've put in a couple of sculptures, just bronze ones that I've just started, just yep. just to see sort of what reaction I get yep. with, with the, ex, you know, just to the sculptures because it's um, quite hard to sort of get things out in in the public for the public to see so yeah it's just just a bit of an experiment really okay well fantastic this is a great opportunity to see another aspect of mike nichols many of you might just know him as a sculptor but of course he's a an image maker and he's making beautiful beautiful works and they're going to be on at the merrick's art gallery opening on i think i said it earlier and i'm going to have to look back and see when it is march the 16th it opens and runs through till april the 7th thanks so much for talking to us today on arts about mike nichols thank you very much for having me thanks mike been a pleasure you're listening to Arts About on RPPFM, and next on the program today we're going to be talking with Juliet Hansen, who's curator at Linden New Art. And most lately she's curated the Linden Art Prize, for, which is the non-acquisitive contemporary art award established for artists graduating from a master's or PhD from a Victorian university. The, uh, the prize was set, established to celebrate excellence and nurture a new generation of artists uh, and supporting the lucky few um, who through that oftentimes very difficult transition from study to professional practice. She joins us this morning to tell us a little bit about this year's prize. Good morning, Juliet. Thanks for talking to us today on Arts About. Hello there. It's lovely to be here. Great. Um, Juliet, the Linden Art Prize is an important prize with a significant prize pool, including tailored, tailored mentoring to go along with those prizes. Can you talk us through a little bit about the prize, who's eligible and how it's set up? Absolutely. Um, This is the fourth Linden Art Prize that we've run. And in the past, the prize has been run every year, but into the future, it's going to be every other year. And it's um, artists that are eligible are artists who have graduated in the previous two years. So from a a postgraduate course, so usually masters or PhD 
students who have recently graduated um, submit um, uh, an application to be part of the show and then we select a group of finalists. And this year we've been really lucky um, because of our renovation to the space. We've got more room than in previous years, so we have eight finalists in the exhibition this year. And, and what are the prizes? Oh, well, the first prize is $10,000 uh, with tailored mentoring, and the second prize is a board encouragement award of $2,000, also with tailored mentoring. What does that mean? What, what, what does the mentoring entail? Well, it's really designed for what the artist wants to do into the future and for we, we really sit down with the artists and ask them where they see they may need the most development or, or what they want to, to do. So some artists are really keen to be paired with another more experienced professional artist who can help them in all kinds of ways but maybe who have a similar practice or a similar area of interest within their practice who can help them maybe develop the work um, either conceptually or sometimes physically as well um, but some artists really want to focus in on you know developing their skills in writing about their own practice for example so we might um, we could actually help them with that in some ways but we might be looking towards you know other industry professionals that might be able to help them in that area instead it may be that they would really like to find um, an international residency so we can assist them in trying to find the right one of those for their you know general interests or where they might like to head to so it, it really depends on, on what the artists would like to do so um you know you you end up with in this case it's expanded slightly so you've got eight finalists mm. how many how many people are interested in this award how many people do you actually get submitting their work yeah well we, we had 36 submissions this year um, so in the, it was a very difficult task. We had uh, external judges to um, narrow the pool down to the eight finalists. Um, and then we had different judges again. We had Mark Fury from Gertrude Contemporary and Lisa Sullivan, the senior curator of Geelong Gallery, come to pick the two winners. Mm. Right, so very uh, difficult. So how do you go about selecting winners from this, what must be a pretty uh, uh, incredible array of very different works? Yeah. I'm well, sure it it's not tricky, easy, is but, it? Um, <laughs> it's not, but we, we do actually do it in quite, we have quite a rigorous method to um, actually scoring the artists. So they, they are scored over four categories. One of them is um, the exhibiting history and the experience they already have in um, exhibiting their work, um, excellence and innovation in their practice, um, the clarity of their artist's statement and how that actually marries up with the work that they're presenting. And also the artists have to um, say in their submission um, how they would make use of the mentorship as well. And so they're scored in, you know, how, how well we feel they would make use of the, the mentoring because it is a very important part of it. And so then we look at the scores overall um, and see what happens there. Yeah, so it's... Um, mm -hmm. um, we, yeah. Excuse me, Juliet, sorry to interrupt. But, uh, what Mark, is, what is your accent? Oh, I'm originally from West Yorkshire, but ah, I've been in Melbourne it. about 15 years. That's so a lovely. It, it it's swings a in and out. Yes, it's a beautiful accent. Oh, thank you. 
Um, Juliet, do, do young artists feel compelled to create work that is political to some degree? I mean, do they, do they feel that they need to be making some social commentary or at least con uh, you know, commenting on contemporary culture from a minority viewpoint? Or, I mean, it, does, that, does that come into it? I think it does. I think, um, I think there is pressure to, um, to address political and social issues. But um, I think quite often, you know, everyone as, a, as an individual is faced with certain social and political um, challenges, concerns. And so I think it feels quite natural for a lot of the artists to incorporate those concerns into their work. Um, and this exhibition certainly does showcase a group of artists who have been particularly driven by social, cultural, historical uh, and political concerns. So, um, you know, the, the winner, Seeing Joe, um, has addressed um, her own cultural background. She is, um, was born in China and moved to Australia um, in her early 20s, and she really looks about at how that experience has shaped her own identity, and the work is very much about how she balances two cultural backgrounds, and I think that's something a lot of people in Australia could relate to. Um, but similarly, uh, Fana's Dadfa, another amazing artist in the exhibition, was born in Iran, and her work certainly looks at, at you know that blend of cultural backgrounds as well. Uh, we have large photographs that look at the at, uh, Burmese refugees in Australia. Um, so I think the work across the board, they're dealing with, with the primary uh, social and political concerns of our time, be that um, technological developments or, um, you know, social media and uh, the blending of the, the personal and the public. Jay Early, we have an amazing video artist in the exhibition who's looking at those kind of those concerns of what we make public and what we keep private. But again, it has a very... Um, I think all of the works, despite the fact that they do address these more universal concerns, they all have a very sort of personal... Um, they're coming from a very personal place as well. Mm. I often wonder whether or not, um, uh, you know... This this um, trend, or for artists, for art to be so much about, um, you know, political comment these days is is actually a state of, of, you know, young people being so aware of these issues and and things being terrible, things being, um, or you know, worrying for young people coming through their lives and and growing into it, or whether it's a combination of that or whether it is actually the art world developing a taste for that kind of material as well. What do you, do you think it's, do you think? Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a huge um, topic, but I think you're right. I think it's both of those things. I think with, um, you know, the development of social media particularly, we are bombarded with um, world issues all the time. But I think the art world, um, along with that, has had to reflect on what it is reflecting back to society mm. and the um, desire um, to be more inclusive and to actually represent um, everybody and to include everybody in the art world. Um, you know, Julia, we don't want sorry to Sorry? Sorry, sorry to interrupt again. Do you think people mm. need to be included in the day? Do you know the, the English artist Joshua Reynolds? 
He said a lovely thing, which was to, um, if you're, if the artist is too much involved in his own time, he gets stuck in that time. And I think a lot of these young artists are uh, following the fashion of sort of political correctness and virtue signaling. And it becomes, um, you, I think they've got to be very careful not to get too much stuck in their own time. Do you think? Oh, you think they should look more into the future? I think there's a mystery which they should be looking for more so than just trying to tell people what they think they should be doing. I think that's a very... Oh. But look, that's perhaps another subject too. It is another subject, my goodness me. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, it is a huge subject. Think these works, I don't think these works are trying to be didactic. I have to say I don't think there's any kind of, you know, because it's very hard to be directive, isn't it? Yes, no, it's good that you defend them. But think. I think they do, as I say, I think they do, they're coming from a personal place, but the fact that they do relate to political political and social concerns just reflects how we, we all are yeah. socially well, I, and politically I, more engaged than ever before. Okay. Mm. Okay. Uh, well, it sounds fantastic. I think that there'll be a little bit of... Well, as always, I think these exhibitions are provocative and they cause discussion and that is what they're supposed to do and that is what these artists are part of. And I haven't been up to Linden yes, for some no, time, no, so we'll, we'll be coming up very soon, I think, uh, um, Juliet. It's wonderful to talk to you today. Uh, oh, thank you so much. Linden Art yes. Prize is running at Linden Gallery with, back at its new home in Ackland Street until Sunday the 28th of April, am I correct? correct? That's right, until 4pm on that day. And we have a range of uh, events and public programs running up until that date. So if people go to our website, lindenart.org, all those events are listed, lots of free things happening, artist talks and performances, a panel. And I will, of course, put links on our Facebook page to make it easy for our listeners to find you. Thanks so much for talking to us today, Juliet Hansen. Wonderful. Thank Thank you so much. See you later. Bye-bye. Bye. There's the sting. Yes. What was, are you on about today? I, I went down to Portland one night uh, to go and have dinner one afternoon. I went mm-hmm. down to Portland and I was going out to dinner. and uh, But I had a bit of spare time, a few hours. And I thought I'll go and have a look around the coastline. And I drove from Portland round towards Discovery Bay and parked the car on top of a bluff. Mm. And it's beautiful, you know, with the Bass Strait there. and uh, It's pretty wild out of Portland, isn't it? It can be, mm. yeah. But it was a lovely day with uh, an offshore breeze and the sun shining and I walked down the road towards South Australia and then onto a beach uh, and then walked back along the beach um, having a lovely time. But I, my, I got lost for time. Mm. I didn't look at my watch, really. And I got uh, got to this situation where I thought I'll keep going because there'll be a path or something back up the escarpment that I was facing on one side, or the alternative was to go back around the beach and back around the road where I'd come. And I thought, well, that's going to take too long. I found no path, but I looked up. <laughs> I looked up this escarpment, mm. and I thought, well, I could climb up there. That doesn't look too difficult. And uh, I started making my way up there, up through a kind of a crevice in the rock. And uh, about eight metres or so up, it was getting more difficult. And I thought, I wonder if I should go back down. I looked down and immediately felt sick. (laughs) Eight metres up is quite high. Yeah, it was quite high up. up. And uh, I wasn't comfortable. Uh, I couldn't look down. I couldn't go backwards. So I had to keep going forwards and 
another few metres higher, like hanging, like really starting to have to press myself against the cliff and hang on with my toes and my fingers. You know, it was rock climbing suddenly, not just scrambling up an escarpment. And the wind did a 180-degree shift and blew in from the south and with a little bit of drizzle with it, you know. So <laughs> it's turned into a nightmare, hasn't it? <laughs> this lovely little amble along the beach and it's turned into a horror story. It was getting worse. It's turned into white fang. <laughs> <laughs> well, a little bit further up and, in fact, Swan, I stuck my hand in a little hole in the rock and a, a bird came screeching out. <laughs> An eagle, maybe? <laughs> no, I don't know what sort of bird it was, but it was... It was con- it was sure that I was after its eggs and it started harassing me terribly. So I've got this bird screeching around, pecking me in the back of the head. Yeah. And You're hang- up 10 metres and you've got its drizzle. Hanging on for dear life. I was a little more than 10 metres by this stage, maybe 20 metres up. Oh. You know, I've got another 10 to go. And uh, the rain got heavier and it got more and more slippery and I became more and more terrified, actually. And I had myself crammed into a kind of little crack on the rock surface and just inching my way up centimetre by centimetre, more or less, uh, out of breath, um, out of um, interest. (laughs) (laughs) I just didn't want to be there anymore. I had heard some people talking up on top of the cliff and I thought, well, if I get far enough up, I'll be able to yell out and get them to give me a hand. But when the wind turned and the rain came in, I heard them drive off. Of course they did. (laughs) So I thought, maybe when I get to the top, I'll be able to poke my head over and and the car won't be too far away, you know. I'll be in the right spot to be able to get away from here. And and another hour or so of terrifying sort of creeping up a rock face, I managed to get my hand on a couple of tufts of grass and pull myself up over this edge right where my car was. In fact, I was looking at my car when I pulled my head up over the cliff. How does that work? I don't know. It's just a coincidence. It's where I parked the car. I walked around the road, round the beach and back to where the car was parked at the bottom of the escarpment. Brilliant. And had a hellish time getting back up there to it. But then I went to the dinner party, Swan, and I arrived at the front door and my hostess looked at me and said, you've been in a car accident. And I said, no, 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 a little bit of rock climbing before I came in. And she said, oh, do you want me to give you a hand cleaning yourself up? And I said, well, perhaps just some bandages on the major lacerations. <laughs> <laughs> did you cry at any stage, John? I did cry, Swan. Did you yeah. pray to God? No. Ah. Swanny. <laughs> Good question, so. Uh, so I, they lent me a new shirt. The shirt I was wearing was ripped to shreds and um, they lent me a shirt and cleaned me up a bit and we all had dinner together, but I had to have someone cut up my roast meat. So you were, you were totally bandaged up? My hands were finished. John, that's ridiculous. <laughs> Is that it? That's it, Mark. Right, thank you, John. What more Nothing could you want? Story. Oh, I don't know what happened after dinner. <laughs> <laughs> So I have a question for you, Sonny. What do you call a group of hippos? Hippopotami. A pod? No, close. A bloat. A bloat, really? A bloat of hippos. Is that seriously the, the well, collective now? It's actually, a, yeah, there's a, there's a debate about it because a, a pod was, has been used before, but now they're trying to change it to bloat. 
Well, oh. who's they, you know, and who, yeah, who, and who comes up with these John, you do words. not ask Group who nouns. they is. You know that. It's a mystery. It's one of those mysteries like art. Well, I'm always Don't, trying to discover the correct. answer to these questions. Well, they're questions. endlessly fascinating to us, aren't they, the river horse? Because they're so dangerous. They are. So, yeah. And have you ever seen an alpha hippo mark his territory? No. Well, he it, does this by spinning his tail while defecating oh, yes, and sending dung all over the place mm-hmm. so that and if and then he yawns languorously at bachelor males who were not being sufficiently deferential while they're getting covered in his dung. Yeah. I've seen you do that. <laughs> <laughs> you have not. You can imagine it. That no, you don't have a tail. I don't have a tail in the wrong place. The right There's place. an Australian artist, a sculptor, whose wife was yes. killed by In fact, we had him on the programme several yeah. years ago. He had an exhibition at McClellan Gallery and the exhibition was entitled it was just the numbers and it was the date that his wife had been killed. Jeffrey Bartlett That's right and his his wife whose name I don't remember was a great friend of Marianne Bailey's. Okay. So he he orchestrated the death of his wife by hippo and then monetized it by having an exhibition? They were camping in Africa and she went down to the river from the campsite and he looked back to see what she was up to and a hippo leapt out of the water and bit her head off. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Okay, so after that we'll move on to Ita Buttrose. Oh, yes. Now, why, why Ita Buttrose? Well, because she's an interesting woman. Yes, and she is. And she is the captain's pick. Who's the captain? The, the captain is Scott Morrison. Oh. And this is a very, for people who work in the media, is a very sort of questionable act. But anyway, Ita's a nice woman. She was born on 17th of January 1942, Capricorn, named after a maternal grandmother, Ita Claire Rosenthal left school at 15, not because she was desperate to work, but because she was waiting her prince. She wanted to have children, not work, and live happily ever after. Did she? Mm. But this didn't give, happen. Give, no, it didn't, because she no. ended up being quite a driven woman. That's correct. So she and Sally, you may not know Sally, but she's been given the chair of the ABC. I didn't know that. This is news okay. to well, me. I have been on yeah. a boat for a month but, going yeah. circumnavigating mm. Tasmania. Well, and Ida Buttrose has, has been asked to or has take, accepted, oh, she's the accepted the ABC? Good with, grief. So when you've all finished, I'll continue. Go on. Scotty? Uh, no, I'm Scotty. <laughs> I cannot make a go any faster. Come. Beam him up. Beam him up. So, look, um, did you want to say something? Or, no, you don't. Uh, so, she's uh, now 77 mm-hmm. uh, and is a tough cookie. Uh, yeah. And she was the, the um, if ever you read the Woman's Weekly, John, you would she know was she was the editor of that for a long time. Mm-hmm. But a captain's pick poses problems because an expensive recruitment company was paid a lot of money. I don't know how much. I'd love to know. Corn Ferry, they're called. They were engaged to search for candidates to fill mm. the role. The shortlist, this has been going on for you know, since Michelle was taken away. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> the shortlist was put to the government by an independent panel comprising mainly women, Sally Pitkin, and Full Weed, and Helen Williams. So I don't know who these people are. Uh, the process, this process is supposed to ensure that the appointment is made at arm's length of government, but there were no women on the shortlist. Which the shortlist was made by this company. The, these three women mm-hmm. um, said it was good, and there were three men, but there were no women on the shortlist. And so, after six months of all this, Scott Morrison's walked in. He's a friend of the family of the Butchers, apparently, yeah. and said, "We want Ita." So, that's something. What would you think, Sonny? Do you think it's a, a good choice, or? Yeah, the sooner we move to a benign dictatorship, the better. Yes, yeah. exactly. Okay. Wow. So I'm, I'm, I'm staggered. Right. And the, now they're saying that there's uh, seven women on the nine-person ABC board, and the next chairman is also going to be a woman. So that's, um, a lot of men are 
Well, look, the men have, have had their a, go. They've had their go. They've, they've had a good innings. And now they're gone. Making Ito the new director rather than the chair or something. Well, the former difference. The immediate former director was a female. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Michelle Guthrie. I reckon Ito Buttrose would do a great job. Well, she may well do a great job. But the process hasn't been followed. No, that's that's a big problem. And uh, Michelle Guthrie was was she was with Google before, no? Yeah. Yeah. She was with Google, and now and she'd never worked in media, if you can call Google media. I guess it is now. Anyway, another man who's been cured of HIV. Mm-hmm. Did you see that in London? No. Called the London um, experiment. The That'll be person. good news to you, Mark. Uh, very good news, yeah. uh, Sonny. Thank you. Um, he, uh, it, they've been completely cured from um, bone marrow transplant of a, co- a certain code CC22 or something. I think oh. it is. And the first person had to almost died because of it. He's still alive now. He's he, he survived. But the second person didn't suffer at all. And they're saying this could be a a big breakthrough. Uh, yeah, big breakthrough. Well, that's good news. Um, yes, sir. I, I was oh, just going to. I was uh, just going to ask what bone marrow has to do with art. Uh, no, well, there's not a lot of art to talk about <laughs> at the moment. Oh, what a connection! No, no. Oh, come on. We're not only about art; we're about science as well. Because science and art, artist was actually a mixture of science and art. And well, you'll like this once actually. It was. Once because it was when and you the Renaissance up. man was also, also about this. I was and, we, and I think that these young Lyndon. These young Linden artists it should be pointed in that direction more than. To, well, some know, of them social. are. Some of them are, and you will also like this other thing because a news item is coming. One of the news items, which I don't know whether you did bother to read the news no, that I gave you earlier because I didn't think so. Vera Moller has an exhibition up at the Bundle. You know that um, gallery Rod, out at yes, out at the Boyd Place. Uh, yes, that's Cam- right. Cranbourne. In Cranbourne. It's called A Thousand Tides and, and Tides, and it's an artistic exploration of Victoria's Western Port Bay, celebrating the biosphere, flora, fauna, and terrain. So it's actually a mix of science and art that's good. in this exhibition down there. Yes. I could recommend it to you, Mark, A Distant Mirror by Barbara Tochman, which is uh, life in your golden era, which where, where you come from, your heartland, the Middle Ages. No, no, I came from Beaumaris. <laughs> <laughs> or Beaumaris. <laughs> Beaumaris. Sally, does that mean the news is on? I th- Hark, I but think it could be time for the news. 